Hey there and welcome to the Duncan Pentecostal Church podcast streaming from Vancouver Island here in Canada. And however you have found our podcast, we're so glad you're here. Before we jump into today's message, just a couple things I want to let you know. If you go to our website, www.duncanchurch.com, you're going to find a couple easy ways where you can connect with us. We have an online connect card you can fill out. Maybe let us know where you're listening from and check off the option to receive our what's happening email we send this out once a week it's a great way to stay connected with everything that's going on here at the church and even online apart from that there is a give button so if you're feeling led you can do that right online through our website you can also find us on facebook and youtube we are so glad you're tuning in and we are believing that god's going to do something special in you through today's message enjoy Well, um, last week, uh, we were in, again, the Gospel of Mark. We're walking through the Gospel of Mark right now as a church. And we looked at a parable, the parable of the sower and the soils, which really spoke about how we receive the Word of God into our lives. If you remember, there was a farmer that casts seed, we were told in this parable. What did the seed represent? Do you remember? What did the seed that the farmer cast represent? The Word, the Word of God. And then it was cast upon different soils. And what did the different soils represent? Our hearts, the soil, the the receivability in a sense of our hearts. There was four soils or four hearts that were basically depicted. There was the hard heart or the hard soil where the seed was cast upon. It was like a hard path and it couldn't get in and it couldn't grow. It couldn't, couldn't do anything. In fact, the seed only stayed on the surface. And what happened to that seed? The birds came along, which was a representation, Jesus said, a picture of Satan coming and stealing the seed that, that tries to get planted, the word of God that tries to get planted in your lives. Nothing happens to it, just disappears. Then there was another type of soil. Do you remember what the second type of soil was? Shallow soil. The shallow soil. There was, there, there, the seed actually did start to, to grow, but what happened? There was not enough depth of soil, and so there was, it couldn't get deep roots down into the soil. And Jesus talked about how when like just life in general, the cares of life in the world and the deceitfulness, deceitfulness of riches, he said, come, uh, it, uh, it, it, or rather the sun, rather, that's, I'm talking about the weeds. The sun comes, rather, the sun comes and, and because there's no depth, it's no depth in Christ, uh, as soon as that springs up, it, the sun just bakes it and burns it and kills it. It can't do anything, can't provide anything. Then the next soil, which I already told you now, was the weedy soil. So the weedy soil was the soil that, yes, the seed again penetrated, got in and started to grow and, and to produce life, maybe even for quite a season, perhaps. But what happened was there was weeds around it, which was, again, represented with life and just um, with, with, with the cares of life in this world and the deceitfulness of riches, and those weeds choked out that seed. And what happened, it just eventually just choked it and died. It couldn't go anywhere. And then, of course, the final soil was What? Good soil or a good heart. And Jesus talked about it bearing fruit 30 or 60 or 100 fold in our life. And we equated this not to, oftentimes we think about when we think of fruit, we think of things that we do for Jesus, winning people to the Lord. But we talked about this briefly last week that fruit instead is what? It's to look like Jesus, the, the, the vine that you're connected to, the, the tree that you are connected to. And so you produce a life that looks more and more like Jesus. And so the question we looked at last week was, what is your heart like? How do you receive the word of God into your life? 
really, if you, if you think about this, this first part of chapter 4 really establishes a, for us a theme in chapter 4 and chapter 5. And the theme is really the Word of God. Jesus actually said that this one parable unlocks all the others. And we're going to see actually throughout chapter 4, we're going to look at more parables again this morning that focus on the Word of God. Then at the end of chapter 4, which we will not get to this morning, but at the end of chapter 4, we see that, that there's power even in Christ's word, again, this focus on the word, to calm a storm. And then when we get to chapter 5, we'll look again at the word that there's power to cast out a demon, and then even there's power in the word of Christ to raise the dead. And so there's kind of this broad theme of chapter 4, and chapter 5 is surrounding the word of God and how it works in our lives, what it does in our lives. Because how many of you know that words are powerful? Do you know that words are powerful? Do you remember the old saying, sticks and stones? Right, yeah. Thanks, Jaden. <laughs> no words will never hurt me. That was totally not true, was it? Isn't that funny? We used to, I remember being taught that as a kid. That's not true. Words, why? Because words are very, very powerful. We've discovered this more and more recently that, that what we say and what we speak, you know, the whole bully thing and that kind of stuff, don't bully people, Words are extremely powerful. Think about if our words are powerful, and here we are talking in chapter 4 and 5 about God's word. Do you not think that God's word is going to have some power to it? If our words have that kind of effect, listen, what kind of an effect can God's word have in our life? And that's the question we're going to kind of look at this morning as we continue on with these parables. What is the effect that the word of God is having in our life right now? How is it working in us and how is it working through us? If you have a Bible, grab a Bible in the seats all around you. Uh, you can grab one of these Bibles, turn to the Gospel of Mark chapter 4. It's going to be much easier for you to follow along if you have a Bible open in front of you. We're going to begin in verse 21 this morning. But why don't we pray first? Mark chapter 4, verse 21. Uh, and we're going to look, uh, uh, we pray before we look at the word working. Father, this morning... <clears throat> Lord, we do give you thanks that it's your word. Lord, we're opening up your word today. We're not opening up Peter's word. We're not opening up anybody's word, but the word of God. And as we particularly look at these parables that, that talk about the effects of the word in our lives, I pray that it would have a powerful effect. Lord, once again, that we would have ears to hear, that we would have soil and hearts that are ready to receive, that God, it would bear fruit, that ultimately we would leave this place looking more like you, Jesus. So use this time, I pray. Use it, Lord, that, that we would grow to be more like you. Thank you for your word. Amen. All right. So continuing again with that key thought of the seed last week being equating to the word of God, the first thing that we are going to see in how the word works in us is shine. Now remember, um, we talked a little about this last week. One of the reasons Jesus taught with parables was because there was such a mixed crowd that started with hundreds, it's now thousands of people that are coming and gathering to hear Jesus, to meet with Jesus. There's a mixed crowd of people that hated him, the religious leaders. The religious leaders would, would gather to um, hopefully catch him in something that he would say that they could, they could trick him or, or catch him so that they could perhaps uh, condemn him to death. Then there were also those in the crowd that adored Jesus. They loved Jesus, yes, but it was more for what he could do for them. Oh, feed me, or, or fix me, or help me, or deliver me, right? Then there were those in the crowd, though, that followed Jesus, that genuinely wanted to, 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 to give their lives over to him. 
And so the reason he taught in parables was to, remember last week we talked about it, parables do two things. They reveal, and what else do they do? They conceal. So they, they reveal or they hide or conceal. And that's what parables, the purpose of them was. So that those that didn't want to know wouldn't know, but those that really wanted to know would know. It's kind of like the meaning is secret and hidden in that sense. But here's the thing. We need to remember this. Because of the teaching of parables, we aren't supposed to keep it secret or hidden. We could mistakenly think that, that, that as Jesus said, the purpose of parables is to reveal and conceal. We could think, oh, great. Well, now that I know what the, the secret meaning is, I'm going to keep it all to myself. That's kind of the purpose of parables. But he's saying, no, 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 no. His intention was that his followers would actually explain the word, the hidden truths, to searching hearts. We talked about insiders and outsiders last week. That the insiders would help the outsiders become insiders. And this is what he points out in this first parable about the lamp. Look at verse 21. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? Now this is an absolutely absurd image. Would we ever take a light? Now we have flashlights, but... Would you ever light a candle or a lamp or take a flashlight, turn it on, and then cover it over with a box or a, or, 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 or a basket or put it underneath your bed? I mean, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Who would do something like that? Who would ever do something like that? It's crazy. You know, especially in those days when light was so precious. Today we have, what do we use for light? We have a, a light switch. <laughs> on, off, on, off. I mean, we just, we have no understanding of the value of light in our day and age. We just flick it on or flick it off. Not only that, but even look at this building. We've got six windows alone in this space right here. Modern uh, technology gives us a light switch. Modern architecture gives us the ability to have sometimes whole walls of windows. So light can get in. We've got all kinds of capabilities. Well, if you think about that day and age, they didn't have a light switch, and they most definitely did not have the architectural abilities to be able to have whole walls of windows. In fact, many of their walls. How many of you have ever been in a castle? Anybody here ever been in a castle? Have you noticed if you go into some of the rooms in a castle how dark it is? It's extremely dark. Or maybe a log cabin. I had a, I had a, a friend growing up that lived in, a, in a, a log house. And I found it so dark. Everything in there was so dark because there was not very many windows. In the same way like a castle. Same way with their day and age. There would not be a lot of windows in a home. And so light was so, so precious. It was too valuable to waste. And so what God is saying here is this. He says, I want my word to shine. I want it to get out. I want it to be exposed. Though it is to be hidden to those that don't really want to know, I want you to reveal it to those that are searching and looking for it. Remember that the, the verse right before this was what? That his word, his seed planted in us in good soil would bear fruit. 30, 40, 60, right? 30, 60, 100 fold. And what he's saying is, I want you to let out what I'm doing in you. Let it shine. It doesn't mean that we need to go to sporting events and hold up John 3.16 signs and wear crazy clothing. It also doesn't mean that we need to get a megaphone and go stand on a street corner and just shout passages of scripture at people. That's not what he's getting at here, but maybe think of it something like this. Maybe you're here this morning and maybe you're sharing with somebody what, what the Lord has been teaching you through his word. Maybe you're going to share with somebody today, you know, here at this service, oh yeah, God's been speaking to me about this or doing this in my life. Then I would say this, well, then why don't you let it out tomorrow when you're at work or when you're at school? Why don't you share with somebody else what God's been doing? And you might go, well, they'll think I'm weird or they'll laugh at me. 
Yeah, they might. You never know. I mean, there's enough sorrow in the world right now that a little laughter might help anyway. At least you'll be providing some comic relief. But truthfully, you know what's probably going to happen? Most likely, they'll probably say, you know what, I want what they have. I want to experience what they're experiencing with God in their life. And so Jesus says, let it shine. Parables may hide truth and keep them secret, but, but I want you to let it shine. Verse 22, for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. So don't get the idea that the purpose of parables is to reveal and conceal that we just keep it concealed all the time, he's saying. If it's secret, I want it out. If it's hidden, I want it made manifest. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. This is the whole point, he says. I want the secret to get out there. I want you to tell others what God and his word is doing in you. It's kind of like a researcher for cancer. If, if somebody was researching cancer and they discovered a cure for cancer, do you think they should keep it hidden or let it out? You guys don't know. <laughs> really strange. They should let it out, by the way. That's what you should do. right? A, a researcher for cancer, that if they find this, this breakthrough cure... It's essentially, we would say, their responsibility, is it not? It's their obligation to get out the good news. They've got something that can save lives. Well, let me ask you this. Do we have something that can save lives? Yeah. And so is it not our obligation to let it shine? Like a lamp, he says, put it like on a stand. Don't, don't hide it. Let it out. Let it out what God is doing. Let it shine. How many remember the Newsboys song, Shine? Anybody want me to sing it right now? Yes. Oh, are you serious? Yeah. Oh, I thought you'd say no, and I was going to get... You said, my wife said no. I need, to, I need to obey my wife. Someone's booing me now. Was that you, Kevin? Oh, you're booing my wife. <laughs> let it out, let it shine. Okay, I'm going to really make a fool of myself doing this one, aren't I? I'm not going to do it. Okay. I'm going to keep going. You can look it up online, YouTube, Newsboys Shine. Make them wonder what you got. Anyway, so make them wish that they were not on the outside looking bored. Okay, anyway. (laughs) Well done. Well done. Maybe we just need to have a choir, Newsboys Choir. But get it, expose it. That's what we're talking about here. Let, Let it out. Don't hide it. Don't keep it to yourself. Well, the second parable relating to God's word, uh, encourages us now, Jesus says, you need to study it. Be serious about it. Be studious when it comes to the word of God, the seed that he wants to plant in your life. Look at verse 24. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Well, this is kind of crazy. This is basically the spiritual equivalent of the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And that's essentially what Jesus is saying, which we don't really like, do we? We don't. But, but that's what Jesus is, is essentially saying here when it comes to spirituality. That's how it works. Because this is the deal with truth. We already saw this last week. That the condition of our heart, the soil condition of our heart, determines our receptivity to truth. And those who receive truth and act upon it, Jesus says, are going to receive more truth. But those that reject the truth will lose what little they already have. I mean, just look at the world that we live in today. 
You can see this. The rejection of truth and how far over the deep end it would seem like our world is going. They reject some, and then God's like, well, then I'm fine. I won't give you any more. I'm going to take even what you did have. You could kind of look at it this way. Why would God give us greater revelation if we don't even care enough about the, the revelation that he's already given us to put into practice in our lives, to even use it? Do you know what I'm saying? It's kind of like at Christmas time, you give a gift to a neighbor or a family member every year, and you bring that gift to their house, and, and, and you come over to their house, and you realize this, this year as you're giving them their gift, they've got all your gifts still, unra- they're not even ra- unwrapped. They're still wrapped in the corner of their house. You've been doing this for years. What would you do? Would you be like, oh, I'm just going to keep giving them gifts? What would you do? No more gifts for you, right? I'm not going to give you any more gifts. You don't even use what I've given you. Do you see this? This is how truth works with us as well, with the word of God. If we don't use, if we don't, if we don't use what God's given us, but he says, but if you, if you want more, you just start using it up. And I'll keep giving, I'll keep giving. I, I remember when I was 18, I went to Bible school and um, I, I went to, I guess maybe I turned 19 when I went there, I don't know how old I was, but uh, went over to Macau and uh, just, uh, just kind of south of Hong Kong. And we went as part of our ministry time to a teen challenge, which was like um, an adult uh, male addiction recovery center. It was a, a most incredible experience that we had there. But they fed us before we got to do our ministry with these Teen Challenge people. And I remember eating my meal. And, and it was good, and I'm eating the meal. And as soon as my plate got somewhat empty, do you know what they would do? Before I could even see it, someone was right beside me dumping more food onto my plate. And I'm like, oh, man, okay, well, I can't be rude, so I keep eating. And then, of course, as soon as my plate gets a little bit close to empty, what happens? More food gets shoved on it. I'm like, and, and here's the thing. It's kind of the same with God. It's like as you consume it. He'll just keep refilling it. That's what Jesus is saying here. He, he wants to give you more. And it was, I finally just had to leave my plate basically full of food before otherwise they would just keep filling it up again. And, and that's how it works. It, it's, it, it, he wants to give us so much more, but we need to use up what he's giving us. It's also true, though, if you think about spiritual momentum in our lives. Think about how you've, I know we've all experienced this if we've been in the word for any amount of time. The more that you're in the word, the more you begin to hunger for the word. Have you noticed that? But then when you're out of the Word, suddenly you're not as hungry as you were before. It's kind of like exercise. Perhaps this January, you're going to commit to exercising. And you say, I'm going I'm to get into I'm going to make it a habit in my life that I'm going to regularly exercise. And if you, some of you are laughing, yeah. Um, <laughs> if you've done this, you know that once you begin to exercise, it actually, you start to crave it. Do you know that? Yeah. <laughs> Yes, you actually do, Dennis. You actually start to crave it. You actually want it. But here's the problem. When, when you begin to exercise, uh, you crave it, and then if you, maybe you get an injury or, or you get busier. You go away, and you can't exercise for maybe a week or two weeks. Do you know how hard it is to get back into it again? Right? You leave it for a little bit, and all of a sudden, the momentum's gone. Right? It's so hard. It takes, like, it takes a crisis or an emergency where like, your pants just don't fit anymore. And then you're like, okay, I got to get back in the gym. It's the same way, right? It's the same way. You, 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 you stop craving. You get out of routine. It's hard to start again. And so dig into the word. Dig in because it will pay off. You know what Jesus told us? Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why are you blessed if you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Why are you blessed? Because you will be filled. If you want more, he says, I'm going to give you more. 
You get out what you put in. So study, I would say. Take notes. I would encourage you, bring a notepad on a Sunday morning. You might even just draw me, a stick picture of me if that's what you're going to do. But start bringing a journal as, as the Word of God reveals things to you. Write it down. Meditate on the Word. You know what? You will grow and you will grow and you will grow. Because the, the Word of God, there's power in the Word. There is actual power in the Word of God. But, but be careful because look at what Jesus also re- told us right in that first verse. Look at verse 24 again. What does verse 24 say right at the start? It says what? Pay Pay attention to what you hear. Other translations put it this way. Take care or take heed or beware or be careful what you listen to. You see, this is some of the reality as well, is that sometimes we aren't hungry for the word of God because we're full on other things. We gotta be careful. You see, another kind of spiritual truth is the fact that you, you hunger for what you feed on. You hunger for what you feed on. If you always eat junk food, do you know what you're going to crave? Junk food. You, you, you eat healthy, you know what you're going to start to crave? You're going to start to crave healthy food. I mean, about 11 or 12 years ago when we began doing our 21 days of prayer and fasting, I, I remember, I, I still am a little bit, but I was really bad then, a total sugar addict. I love candy. I, I mean, the kids would get into my, when they, they went to the Christian school, and so they would get into my, my truck after after their day at school, and the first thing that they would do, they would go right to the middle console, and they would open it up and look for whatever candy dad had in the, in the truck. There'd be jujubes and all kinds of things. But when I did the 21 days of prayer and fasting, one of the things that I fasted was sugar, was candy. We went to more of a natural kind of whole healthy kind of diet, which I always thought my wife was crazy for because she liked eating that way. But you know what? As we did that, and, and as I broke those addictions and those cravings, I craved that less, and I started to crave healthy food more. In fact, as we've done this year after year, it's completely changed the way I eat. Totally, totally changed my, my eating habits. Micah thinks I've gone to the dark side, my son, because <laughs> I don't like the garbage that I used to. You know, and ice cream, it's like, what do you mean that's all the ice cream you're going to eat? You know, it's like, because all I need is a little bit now to satisfy me. I used to have whole bowls. Now I just need like, sometimes I'll just take one spoon to the freezer and I, won't, and I don't double dip. I just take one and I take one <laughs> and then I leave. Just I take one spoon and that's enough, right? No, seriously, that's the truth. Because you hunger for what you feed on. And the problem is that there, there's a lot of spiritual junk food out there. Did you know that? There's lots of spiritual junk food out there. So you have to be careful of your spiritual diet. Maybe things that you fill your ears with, things that you listen to. You think, well, they're mostly good. There's some redeeming qualities to them. They're fine, you know? The music, the things that we're putting into our ears. We have to be careful. The movies even that we watch, we have to be careful. Even sometimes the Christian, Christian preachers that we like to listen to, that we know maybe don't really preach fully the truth, but it's mostly the truth. You're like, well, I'll chew the meat and then I'll just spit out the bones you got to be careful because somebody else might choke on those bones. You might choke on those bones. you got to be careful. Just because there's some redeeming qualities doesn't always mean it's worth it. That, that's kind of how junk food often works. But think about how they advertise. I have a picture for you here of Munchie Mix. How many of you like, like Munchie Mix? How, you, okay, so I have, a, I have a picture here of a Munchie Mix bag. What does it say in the top corner there? See how they advertise this? Zero trans fat. Oh, well, in that case, I can have a whole bag. You turn that bag over, you look on the back, it's like one cup is like 250 calories or something. There's all kinds of fat still, 
maybe no trans fat, but there's all kinds of fat. Do you see what they do? They kind of get you to go, oh, I guess this is okay for me, right? That's what they do. Even look at this next one I have. These are Cocoa Krispies. Wow, this is great. You need to buy, the, forget vitamins, buy these for your kids. Look, it helps, it, it now helps support your child's immunity. 25% daily value of antioxidants and nutrients, vitamins A, B, C, and E. Forget the multivitamins, just buy Cocoa Krispies. Do you see what they, <laughs> some people are excited now. I'm trying to tell you, don't buy Cocoa Krispies. It's still junk food, right? Even though there's some redeeming qualities that they put into it, it's still garbage. You can't live off of that. Think of it this way. I've used this illustration before. How many of you like brownies? I bake some nice brownies for you, and I, bring, I got some brownies for you. And then I tell you, as, I'm, as, I'm, as I, I'm preparing the brownies, I also put in a teaspoon of poop. Jaden Clue. <laughs> Let me ask you, what type of poop would you be okay with in the brownies? <laughs> you ruined my illustration. <laughs> okay, I'll just tell you now, you're not going to want to eat the brownies. Maybe Jaden would, but you won't, okay? <laughs> Even if there's just a little bit of poop in the brownies. Oh boy, Jaden Clue. <laughs> I'm sorry, Olivia. I'm sorry. Right? Yeah, a little bit. You know, like, it's just a little. But it still affects the whole batch, doesn't it? it you got to pay attention. Jesus says, be careful what you hear. And so he's saying to study, press into the word, you will get more and more of the word. And, and you know, this, this parable really is teaching us in a lot of ways that there's no such thing as spiritual stagnation. Sometimes we think that. I'm just doing okay. I'm just where I am. You're either moving forward or you're moving backward. There's no just sitting where you are. There's no such thing. You know, I would just ask this before we go on to the next, the next, uh, the next section here, the next parable. Where are you at today? Where are you at? Do you seriously hunger for the Word of God? You know, in the new year, I'm planning on starting something called the 2-7 series. Some of you have done it before. It's about being rooted, Colossians 2, 7, being rooted in Christ. It's a very basic study just on how to read your Bible, how to pray. Just some of these basics of the Christian faith. I encourage you, if you want to take part in it in the new year, keep your eyes open. We'll be starting it some point in January, probably. Be serious, be studious, and you will grow. Well, in the next parable, Jesus reminds us to just scatter the word. Look at verse 26. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Again, what was the seed in the parable of the sower and the soils? What did the seed represent? The word. the word. And this unlocks, Jesus said, this unlocks all the other parables. So this man scatters seed. He scatters the word. Then look at verse 27. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. I mean, truly, if we think about it, is it not an absolute mystery how a seed can grow into a tree or a bush 
or I mean, it's amazing. I mean, we, I know we have science nowadays that can teach us all about photosynthesis and germination, and we've got time-lapse cameras that can, can take the growth of a seed from, you know, like just the very start of germination to a tree, and, and it can show us, you know, years and years of growth in the matter of like 10 seconds, right? So we kind of lose some of the wonder perhaps, but it is an absolute wonder. What makes a seed grow? We don't totally get it. The reality is this, all a seed needs to do is be put into the right environment. It just needs to be put into the right soil, scattered and planted. You don't have to be scientific whatsoever. Believe me, I've planted a garden. It worked. I know nothing about it. It sort of worked. Let me take that back. It kind of worked. Things grew. I'll just say that. You just have to, the point is this, you just have to do it. You just have to scatter and plant the seed. And then the seed, here's the thing, the seed does its own thing. No idea really how. And it's the same with the word of God. Jesus says, just scatter it. Just scatter it. Let the seed, let the word do its work. You don't have to go to Bible college and have a degree in theology. You don't have to totally understand all of scripture. You don't even have to understand completely how it is going to produce fruit in somebody's life. Jesus says, you just got to scatter the seed, just sow the seed. Because there is power in the word of God. There's power in that seed that that works actually beyond our human understanding. An example of this would be Romans 10.17. We're told in Romans uh, 10.17 that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Do you know that as you are here this morning and as I am reading the word of God to you, do you know what's happening? Your faith is growing God is putting more faith in you. And you might say, well, I I didn't come and ask for faith. But it is happening. Why? Because it's the word of God. It's the power of this seed. It's the power of this word. It it does something that that we don't fully understand. Even Ephesians 5.26 tells us that Christ's church, talking about the people, not the building, but the people, they are, it essentially says this, they are washed by the cleansing of God's word. You need to know this, that as you are here listening to the word of God being spoken over your lives, you know that you are going to leave cleaner than when you came. You know that. You're unaware of it, but the Holy Spirit right now is scrubbing you out, your soul. He's cleaning you. He's doing a work as you listen because there is actual power in the word of God because it's his word. Isaiah 55 is so clear about that. It won't return void what he sends it to do. You know, the Bible talks about the word giving us strength and power uh, about the word cleansing us, guiding us, doing a spiritual work in us. You know, even if you don't remember a single thing that I said this morning, you will still have benefited from being here. Some of you will have benefited because you got a nice rest. You got a nice nap and you're really exhausted and so you benefited just from some good sleep. We'll let you continue to sleep if that's you. But the real benefit comes because there's a spiritual work that the Word of God is doing right now in our hearts. Now, this might blow your mind, so put on your thinking caps right now, because I need you to stay with me. This is a tough one to grab right here, but here's the thing. You need to understand this. If you don't plant, there won't be a harvest. I see that? Just the mic drop right there. (laughs) If you don't plant, there won't be a harvest. Isn't that brilliant? Oh, okay. Yeah, came up with it all on my own. 
But it's the truth. If you don't plant, there won't be a harvest. And I'm talking about both in the world, but also in you. If you don't ever sow seed with your friends and with your family and with your coworkers, you can't expect there to be a harvest. And it's, a true, it's true as well in our life. If we don't ever sow, listen, we reap what we sow. And if we never sow the word of God into our lives, we can't expect there to be a harvest of righteousness, as the Bible talks about, the fruit of the Spirit growing up in our lives. Galatians 6, 8 tells us that if we, I think we have, do we have the verse for us here? We do. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. What are you sowing into your life? There will be a reaping. The same verse goes on to say in verse 9, God will not be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. It's just the principles of, of nature, and it's a principle that God has established. What are you sowing into your life? And so when it comes to the word, you, you, you just have to do it. You just got to scatter the seed. Just sow it. You know, we need to stop. I think we overthink so often. You just got to be confident in the word of God that when you speak the word, it will have an effect. Use the word. Be confident in the word because it's God's word. Let it go to work because it will. Well, finally, we see that the word can also have spectacular growth. Look at verse 30. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Well, there's really two common interpretations of this parable. So we're going to actually look at both of them because I I think in many ways, both can really apply to, the, to what Jesus was getting at here. Now, one common interpretation is how the kingdom of God would start small, but grow big. The mustard seed, Jesus points out, he says the smallest thing in all the earth. We know the mustard seed is actually not the smallest seed in the earth. There are smaller seeds than the mustard seed. Um, but it was actually, in, in that day, it would have been the smallest seed known to them that they would actually plant. And it was kind of, they actually used it as like a proverbial way of saying something is really small. It's as small as a mustard seed. That's what it kind of represented. And so this small seed, here's the point Jesus is getting at. It can grow to become a massive plant or a massive shrub. I have a picture for you here of, of a mustard seed and what it became in the, uh, a mustard shrub or tree. Do we have that picture? Is it not working? Oh, it won't work? Oh, you give it a second. It just takes a time delay. Just click it and leave it. It'll take a second. It'll come. There you go. Look at that. That's huge. That's from one tiny little mustard seed. You know that it was actually forbidden. It was actually forbidden in the Jewish oral law, which was known as the Mishnah, to plant in a garden. You could not, it said you could plant rows of certain vegetables and things. It said you are not allowed to plant mustard in your garden. Why? That's why. <laughs> it takes over. It can take over. It can totally take. It's kind of like Jesus is saying for our context that the kingdom of God is like scotch broom seed pots. <laughs> A small seed, but it can take over. We've seen that, right? Some Scottish person, any here Scottish? Anyone here Scottish today? Okay, Carline. Someone's got to beat up on Carline right now. We've got Scotch broom problem everywhere because of your descendants, right? Some Scot was like, I miss that lovely plant. And here we have this thing taking over. That's what he's saying. He's saying that this little seed can just begin to take over. This small little thing, and it just takes over. He didn't use, it's interesting, he didn't talk about the big cedars of Lebanon, 
that speak of strength and power and majesty, but mustard bushes. They're not really a tree, they're a bush. And it's part of, that's part of the mystery of the kingdom of God that, that I think Jesus is explaining here. Really a picture of how the kingdom of, of God would grow. Think about how it started. Even before the 12 disciples, it got kicked off with, with well, Jesus, right? And Jesus started, how did he start? Did he ride in on a horse and say, I'm here? No, what did he do? We're celebrating that right now, this time of the year, this season that we're in, of Christmas. He came as a baby. A single cell is how he started. You can't start any smaller. Yet that's how he started. That's how the kingdom began. In a manger, a baby, God made himself nothing. Then he grew up. He became a carpenter. He became a carpenter from a poor family. He was homeless, essentially. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, he's told us. Essentially homeless, couch surfed. Then he picks 12 misfits. One of them betrays him. So he's down to 11. And by the time he ascends and leaves the earth, there's 120 that are left. This is the start of the kingdom of God. How could it ever make a difference? Yeah, I think it's funny too. Look around. I mean, it's made a difference in our lives. Look at that. It started with 120. Look at there's churches all over this valley, all over this world. You can see it. You can see how it started small but had a big impact, a spectacular growth, you could say. Because God loves to use small things. You know that. Which is so great because none of us are really great and amazing. Let's be honest. God loves to use small things. Think about, think about the story of Gideon. What a perfect example. Gideon, Gideon uh, gets together. There's the Midianites that are coming against Israel. And so Gideon gets, pulls together an army. How many are in that army? 32,000. How many are in the Midianite army? 135,000. The odds aren't so good, are they? No. So little, you know, small group of Israelites versus the Midianites. And what does God say? Oh, you're too big. You're too big. God actually says you need, to, you need to be smaller. And so what does he do? He, he, God says to all of Gideon's army, he says, you know what, if any, of you, if any of you are a little bit afraid of fighting or just want to go home and be with your wife and your family, you can leave. 22,000 of the soldiers leave. They're down to 10,000. Gideon's like, oh, this is horrible. And God says, you're right, it is horrible. There's still too many. Right? And he whittles it down eventually to 300 men. 300 men versus 135,000 soldiers of Midian. God says, that's perfect. That's perfect. The odds were 450 to 1. But that's perfect for God to use because God loves to use small things to do big, big things. And of course, you know the story of Gideon, just the amazing routing of that army as God steps in. Think about even the loaves and the fish, right? The feeding of the, the there's 5,000 men, aside from women and children. And how many loaves and fish does it take to feed 5,000 men? It takes five loaves and two fish. Five loaves and two fish to feed 5,000. And, and how many basketfuls of food are left over? Do you remember? 12 baskets are left over after feeding 5,000 men, aside from the women and children that were there too. Then Jesus, Jesus so that's, you could see that example right there. That's, it takes a small amount to do an incredibly big thing. But Jesus points out the picture even further. Because look at it, when he feeds 4,000, how many loaves and fish does it take? It takes seven loaves and three fish. It takes more to feed less people. And guess how many basketfuls of food are left over after feeding the 4,000? Only seven. Only seven baskets. Do you see what God's getting at here? In the kingdom of God, he's saying this, the kingdom of God, less is more. 
Less is more in the kingdom of God. That's how God, God loves to take small things to do big, big things. Less is more. In our culture, generally we think bigger is better. Bigger is better. We celebrate and we value wealth and strength and power and status. But in God's kingdom, bigger isn't always better. He would start his kingdom small. In fact, he would start his kingdom with a seed. A seed planted in the hearts of humanity. That's how he starts his kingdom. And so that's kind of one interpretation of this parable. And now a second common interpretation is that the church would experience spectacular and unnatural growth influenced by false teaching and hypocrisy. Kind of almost polar opposites here. You see, the fact, if you remember that in the parable, Jesus said that the birds come and they nest in its branches. It grows so big, this mustard bush, that it begins to have branches like a tree, that the birds can come and nest. Well, what were the birds in the parable of the sower in the soil? Satan. Satan. You know, in Scripture, many times, uh, lots throughout the Old Testament, birds oftentimes are a picture or a representation of evil. Do you know that? How many think birds are evil anyway? Oh, yeah, birds are weird. I had a friend that had a bird, like a little, like, like whatever those are called, parakeets or whatever kind of things. And uh, <laughs> birds are weird. People are weird, too. <laughs> Let's just be honest. I remember it would, like, dive bomb your head, and I'd be like, ah, as it was coming for me. It was just, I think dogs are probably the only animal that are really good in this world. <laughs> anyway, I shouldn't say that, because there's people that, you know, whatever. Anyway, birds, birds in scripture often, often are a picture of evil. They came and, and they stole the seed that had been planted as a picture of, of Satan. And quite possibly, what Jesus is pointing out here is a picture of evil infiltrating the kingdom as it grows. Right? You can see, what do you say? They, the birds actually nest in its branches. Because the kingdom of God did begin with a small persecuted minority, but it grew, didn't it? In fact, it, began, it gained popularity until it became the majority. If you look at it, gradually, it actually became the state religion. And of course, at that point, it was totally infiltrated by false teaching and hypocrisy, was it not? Right? Spectacular growth, you could say, but it was very unnatural or unhealthy. People that would maybe give lip service, but didn't genuinely have a real relationship with God. And, and commentators point out that a mustard seed can produce a massive bush, but it's unnatural. It's actually not... That's not naturally what it should do. And so I'm not saying, you know, here that, that the church can grow too big. I think all of us would agree that we want to see the masses come to Christ. We want to see people come to Christ. But the truth is, is that, that the church can grow in ways that it was not intended to grow. Maybe, I see this right now happening in, in I think, in a lot of ways where the, the church is trying to grow into more of a political or a ruling party. Think about how in the Middle Ages, in Europe, that there was an unnatural dominance of the church over society. The church actually had armies. What? The church had governments and ambassadors and huge treasuries and, and political influence. I mean, the church was essentially a political and a military empire. That's not what Christ created it to be, but to be rather a spiritual empire. You know, even today, we can still see some of this, perhaps, I think, with some of the cults that have come out of Christianity. Christianity false teaching and heresy that's even kind of finding its root, calling itself Christian. Mormonism is not Christian. It's a cult. The deeper you go into that, it's weird, some of the stuff that they believe. Jehovah's Witnesses, these things that have branched out. Think about even just even now the liberalism within the church. The apostasy, the departure from the word of God 
that many mainline churches have taken in the last number of years. And not even just mainline, even evangelical churches that have started to make it about Jesus and. No, it's Jesus. No, no, Jesus and. No, it's Jesus and Jesus, Jesus. That's it, Jesus. You know, as commentator William McDonald says, he says, the mustard seed bush therefore pictures professed Christendom, which has become a roosting place for all kinds of false teachers. It's kind of true. See, the problem isn't growth, but, but, the, but there is such a thing as being too big for God to use, right? And we can kind of get caught up in just the machinery and, and the programs of the church that it just kind of keeps rolling and doing its own thing. Just the other week, Connor and I were talking about how, you know, we felt convicted that we'd kind of let things like Alpha just kind of start to go on its own steam. And we're like, no, we need to, be, we need to pray into these things still. Just because we have a program that can make it work doesn't mean we just let it go and do its thing. But sometimes we can do that where, where we just, we, things can begin to run themselves apart from the Spirit of God, apart from a dependency upon God. Because the reality is, is you know, listen, you can never be too small for God to use, but you can definitely be too big for God to use. We'll finish this morning with verse 33. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. And so we have these parables this morning, this morning really to make us consider. Just simply this, how is the word of God working in you? How is the word of God working through you? What, what is God wanting to do with his word in your life today? Connor and Lainey are going to come at this time. They're going to just lead us in the song, Resurrender. I just really feel that we just are going to close our service this morning just by saying, I want to submit myself again, Lord, to your word I want to re-surrender my life to what you want to do in me and through me. I want you to shine your word through my life. I don't want it to be hidden. I want to be serious about studying your word and going deeper. I want to scatter your seed and just let it do its thing. I don't want to see spectacular growth, if I'm honest. I want to see spectacular growth in my life as the seed bears fruit, but also being careful that I don't allow false teaching or hypocrisy to get in as well. So can we just stand as we wrap up our service this morning? Just stand and just maybe just quiet ourselves before the Lord right now. Just allow him to speak. Lord, we want to submit ourselves again to whatever it is that you want to do in us. Whatever it is that you want to do through us. We want to place ourselves under your word. I thank you that your word is powerful. God, even when we don't understand it, like that parable spoke about, it just grows. It does a work in us, a transformational work that we don't even fully understand. So Lord, this morning as we're here, we say, have your way. Let your word speak. Let your word, Lord, take deep roots in my life. Lord, if I'm honest, I'm a pastor. I have a theology degree and I don't fully always understand it. But I'm thankful that it works. I'm thankful, God, that there is a supernatural power in the seed of your word. That as I hide it in my heart, as I study it, as I read it, as I allow it to wash and cleanse me, that God, it transforms me to look more like you. You know, maybe you're here this morning and 
he would just say, you know, Peter, I'm here. and I want this to be the day that I fully submit myself underneath God's word and influence in my life. I have never surrendered before. We're going to sing a song called Resurrender, but maybe it's your first time surrender. And if you're here, I would love to just, I don't want to point you out. I just want to pray for you in closing. If there's anybody that would say this morning that, Peter, I want to surrender my life to the Lordship of Jesus. I want to be someone that follows him with my whole heart, my whole life. Would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? Is there anybody this morning that would say that? I want to, I want to start that surrender process right now. Just put up your hand and I would love to just pray for you in closing. There's one of you. Is there anybody else? Lord, I just pray that right now, I thank you, your word has washed us today. I pray that your word would wash over us right now. Lord, that your word would wash even this life that's just saying, I, I want to do this surrender thing. I want to submit myself to you. Lord, that you, there would be a cleansing work that takes place. Lord, it's not about me and my own efforts. It's about what you have done, Jesus. So come and wash us and cleanse us. Make us new, I pray. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Duncan Pentecostal Church, located here in Duncan, British Columbia, on beautiful Vancouver Island. At DPC, we believe in teaching the whole Bible to build whole believers who can impact the whole world. For more information about us, find us online at www.duncanchurch.com or Find us on Facebook and YouTube by searching Duncan Pentecostal Church. Have a great day.